Well, good morning, Vera Bible Fellowship. It looks like Vera Fellowship right now. Well, it's good to see everyone this morning. My name is Scott Walker. Um, I serve on the elder team here. It's weird not being behind a podium. It's strange. I feel a little out there. But um, I'd like to, first of all, welcome the Teen Challenge boys and, the, and their parents here today. Yeah. So good to have you guys here. It's always good to have the parents as well. Uh, what a wonderful weekend it, it, it has been and will be. Um, anyway, my name is Scott Walker. I serve on the elder team here at, first, or at uh, uh, Vero Bible Fellowship. And um, I just want to welcome you all. I'd like to welcome those who are watching online. Uh, it's good to have you as well. Um, there's basically four things. I'm going to try to hustle through these announcements. Four basic things that I'm going to uh, speak to you about today. The first one being the first step class. If you are relatively new to the church and you haven't been through the first step class or you've been here a while and you've not been through our first step class, I would encourage you to attend. Uh, all the elders are typically present at these meetings. You can ask questions. We go through the core values of the church and describe who we are as Vera Bible Fellowship. So the next class is going to be Tuesday, November 15th, and that's going to be at 6.30 p.m. And so you can sign up if you're interested, if you're hearing what I'm saying, uh, you want to sign up in the back. There's a sheet for the class, okay? So that's the first thing. Second thing, Hurricane Ian. We want to give you an update on four ways that you can serve uh, and help out with Hurricane Ian. The first way is that you can serve by uh, just simply donating straight to Samaritan's Purse. They are the organization that we've chosen, and so we're going to go directly through them. There, an another way is to uh, actually sign up through them to serve. And then the other way is to um, sign up as if we want to develop a team together to send from our church. I think we have a, a minimum amount of uh, people that we can send. What is the fourth thing? Prayer. Simply prayer. There's a lot of people over on the West Coast that need our prayers. And so those are the four ways that you can serve and help out with the Hurricane Ian. Uh, the third thing, Teen Challenge. We are so excited again to have... Uh, Thanksgiving with them, to be, to be able to prepare a Thanksgiving meal for them. And uh, this year we're going to be doing that. If you'd like to, and there's many ways to, to do this and to participate. One of the ways is to simply make food and then have it dropped off at a certain area. Another way is to actually be present and be with them and serve in that capacity. Uh, and then uh, there's other ways, that, but there's a sign-up sheet in the back. So for Teen Challenge, for their Thanksgiving meal, if you'd like to participate in any way, the sign-up sheet is in the back, okay? Great. All right, the fourth thing, the last thing, uh, Operation Christmas Child. We're doing Operation Christmas Child again this year, I believe next week. Oh, hey, look at this. I have a prop. This is the boxes that you'll see next week. They'll be typically over on that wall. And you simply, I think there's instructions in here, you fill them up with the goodies, and then this goes to them. And I think the, uh, the Reeds and the Amicos are heading this up. So uh, that's something to know that we'll start this um, next week. Um, finally, if there's, uh, as far as uh, if you'd like to contribute and give to the Vera Bible Fellowship in any way, there's several ways to do it. We have an offering box in the back, you, as well as you can uh, mail a check in to the church office, or you can actually uh, give online as well. So uh, as we begin today, I just want to just want to talk about something that I heard this past week. Dr. Robert Godfrey uh, was speaking, and he said, you know, he was asked about what church worship is and who it's for, and it's for the body of Christ. And he said it's really, more, in addition to worship, it's actually a conversation. So in song and in prayer, we speak to the Lord, 
And in the word and the preaching, he speaks to us. So as we prepare our minds for that and we get ready to get come into a point where we're going to be speaking to the Lord directly through song and prayer, I'd like you just to kind of keep that in mind, okay? All right, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, we uh, are without our projector again today. It's not working. And so we have printed lyrics. I know many of you have them. Um, if you don't have them, you can raise your hand right now. And I think we have some people in the back who uh, can bring you a copy of the lyrics. And so I want to give those to you because um, we value singing here. And we think that's, that's what uh, our music time is about. Awesome. Well, I'll give just one more moment um, for them to get the lyrics. And uh, we'll begin by um, reading from Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. And uh, we're going to read two verses here. And let's just hear from the Lord now. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And then in verse 8 it says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And so I pray just as we sing this morning that these songs will uh, fill you with hope and courage no matter what you're going through right now in your life and no matter what you're experiencing. And so would you please stand with us as we sing to the Lord now. Praise 
forever without end. Forever without end, creation will rejoice. When works of wicked men you finally destroy, your power will proclaim till Christ descends and you will reign forever without end. How great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. How great is the Against us, if I got. 
A single anchor, we're almost strong. Through every toil and danger, we're almost home. How many pilgrim saints have before us gone? No stopping now, we're almost home. The promised land is calling. Shall fall, then we're almost home. Make ready now your souls for that kingdom come. No turning back, we're almost home. Almost home, we're almost home. So press on toward that blessed shore. Oh, praise the Lord, we're almost home. that you are the creator of the heavens and the earth, that you spread the heavens out before in all creation, created the earth and everything in it, formed human beings, 
you are the Holy One. You are the one who is the creator of all things, and no one is like you. Who is like the Lord our God? No one. And so we just take this moment to recognize your greatness and your holiness, your glory. And Lord, we ask that no matter what we're walking through, no matter what we're going through in our lives, we ask that you'd remind us, Lord, of that greatness. We ask that you'd remind us, Lord, not just of your greatness, but your nearness. Lord, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. Lord, just as that verse in Deuteronomy says, be strong and courageous, not because we are strong, not because we are courageous, but because the Lord our God is with us. And so we thank you, and we ask that in your name. And everyone said, All right, we're going to invite our kids to come forward now and make their way off to children's ministry. And uh, while the kids are coming forward, um, let's just take a moment to recognize our volunteers. They, they give their time um, week after week to pour into our kids. Yes, let's, let's just recognize them. You know, they don't get to hear the sermon when it's, when it's preached. You know, they can go back and listen to it. But that is a sacrifice, not to be with us during this time. And they do it because of their love for these kids and because they're pouring into them. And so we always want to be thankful for them and, and what they're doing. And um, I, I also want to just take this moment um, and say that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had planned a, a night of singing and worship uh, jointly with Church of Christ. And that was the week that the hurricane hit. <laughs> and so we obviously canceled everything that week. Well, we have rescheduled that night of singing and worship for this Wednesday night. And so it's just a, a wonderful opportunity to join with another church family and have a time when we can sing and worship and praise the Lord together. And so that's this um, Wednesday night at 630. And I just wanted to make sure everybody knew when that was rescheduled for. Um, well, now we're going to have the reading of God's word. first scripture today is in Isaiah 49, verses 14 through 16. And it says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. And in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 11, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, 
be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. appreciate the reading of the word today. It's such an encouraging word for us. It should be encouraging to you. And uh, I, I, I was ready to walk up and just really go right into the message because Helen delivered that beautifully to us. And last week I found myself coughing a dry throat and I thought, man, if I don't get some water, it's gonna, I'm going to really start coughing here. And, and two different people brought me water and uh, but today I wanted to check. My wife said, make sure you check to see if there's water up there. And so uh, there's water now. <laughs> I got a good kick out of that, you know. So, so I don't know. who. And there's two more in the bottom. So, uh, Deb, you probably are the culprit behind it. Yes. Uh, that's, that's, that's wonderful. Before we get into the word, now that we've kind of taken a little bit of a, a break here, uh, I wanted to share with you, you know, uh, last month we really... Uh, brought our resources together to provide a love offering for Jackie McClellan, our dear uh, belated uh, Bill McClellan, you know, uh, his wife. And, and Jackie, just being a, such a loving person and having such an impact on our, on our church community, uh, we, 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 we all decided to give. Well, just so you know, that, that offering came to just a hair over $10,000. So uh, we will send that to her, and Rini and I were on the phone with her, uh, I guess it was, was it Friday or Saturday? It was on Friday, and uh, she's still trying to adjust to her new home up in Daytona Beach Shores, and she said, I just miss terribly my church family. And she goes, you will see me from time to time, I'm driving down. And uh, so I know how you, you all feel about her. If you're ever in the Daytona area, look her up. You know, call her and, and uh, try to connect because she does love this, this body of believers. Uh, we are going to get with her as well. In fact, uh, Rini and I had the idea we should have all the elders uh, drive up there and we'll have a nice dinner together with our wives but then also, let's go for the purpose of going to Jackie's home. She said, I'd love to have the elders come to my house and pray with me. And so uh, we, that would be a joy. I know every elder would love to do that too. So uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, and Scott mentioned it at the beginning of the service, but I just can't tell you how good it is to have the Teen Challenge boys come and join us today. It is a blessing. Amen. Now... 
when you look over in the area where they sit, you, you don't see as many. That's because they're, they're sitting everywhere. Their parents are in town as well. And so some are even sitting outside, and it's just a joy to have them. And uh, they will be back with us now each week. They've, they've been understaffed. They're still, we need to pray for them. They're, they're still understaffed. And we need to pray that God would send the right people to serve on that ministry. And it's a calling, believe me. You wouldn't go there because of the money, okay? It's a ministry. And you could make more money somewhere else. But it's a calling. And if the Lord's called someone, nothing will keep them from going there. And so let's just continue to pray for them, okay? And then Thanksgiving Day, boys, I'm just going to tell you, you are going to eat good. It will be a home-cooked meal in a warm family environment, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, please sign up, uh, men and women in the back, to bring food. You can start bringing that food Thursday, that Thursday morning at 10 a.m., and then we'll serve the boys sometime around noon or 1230, and we'll have a wonderful, joyous time with them. But you need to sign up and let us know that you're going to participate. Well, let's get to the Word of God. And uh, uh, if, if you got the hint of theme out of the text, the two different verses that Jackie or that uh, Helen read for us, you, you kind of get a sense that uh, maybe you can identify with this. There are times in life when we are serving the Lord, we're, we're doing the Lord's work, which by the way is what every single Christian was created by God to do. There is a work that God has enlisted each of us in. He spoke about it right after he shared, Paul, after he shared with the Corinthians about how one is truly saved. And he said in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand in the creation, in the beginning, God created. He knew you, and he had a work for you to do, that we would walk in those works. And as you do that, as you follow the Lord obediently, and you, you walk with the Lord, it's such a joy when people respond to the gospel, when they respond to the, the, the goodness of God, the love of God that you have expressed in ministry. It's just a wonderful, there's nothing like it. There's nothing in this world that can touch it than to know that you've been used of God to push forward his agenda and people have responded to it. They've received ministry because of it or they have come to the Lord because of your faithfulness to share or they've come to the Lord because they know that uh, God is in what you're saying. There's nothing like it. Uh, I, I had a funeral in Palm Beach Gardens on Friday for a very dear friend. Most of you have heard me share about Greg King, and Greg was a marketing guy. He had his own agency in, in West Palm. Before that, he was the, uh, the sales manager for Channel 25, the ABC affiliate in, in, Palm, in West, West Palm, the whole South Florida area. And, uh, and, and he, he was a businessman, and and. and Every time Greg had opportunity, it didn't matter if you were a CEO or you were just a janitor in the office building, he would share Jesus with people. He loved it. He lived for that. He and I had lunch every Thursday 
at a Thai restaurant. And when I would come in late, I'd see him sitting there with his little Bible open. Here's a guy in a business suit sitting with a Bible open, reading voraciously. Uh, an insatiable thirst for God's Word. And he would take the opportunities to share the, the, the little uh, waitress there who owned the place. She was the waitress as well, uh, a, a, a woman from Thailand. And her name was Kathy. Her American name was Kathy. And uh, I don't know what her real name was, but Kathy, that's easier for her to... And so uh, we would share Christ with her. We just... So... At the service on Friday, we, we had a time for people to share how Greg had impacted their life. It was powerful. The number of people who stood up and testified to how God had used Greg in the ministry that God had given him to minister to them. Some who were in destitute situations and God moved upon Greg to bless them. Others who were strong businessmen in the community who had come to Jesus because of Greg. He had an impact. He, he suffered with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. And he was, you, you might remember the Sunday that he came up from Palm Beach Gardens. He and Mary came up and he was with us here. He was in his wheelchair and uh, it was really declining quickly. And uh, so I learned yesterday, or two days ago, that he, he was going to church all the way up to the end in his wheelchair. By getting in the wheelchair, which was motorized or battery-powered, and he would ride it like it's a vehicle down the side streets in the gardens community to the church. And people said, Greg, you don't need to do that. We'll, we'll be glad to pick you up. That's not an issue. We'll pick you up. Oh, no. Because as I go home from church, I go through the neighborhoods, and the people are out working in their yards, and people are walking their dogs. It gives me so many opportunities to share Christ. And here we are, you know, with our full capacity, our capabilities, to serve the Lord. It was a gut check for me. And here's a guy who has very little left to give. A voice that for him to speak had to take very deep breaths to get words out of his mouth. And yet here he is still to the very end serving the Lord. On his deathbed, his brothers came from a very large Catholic family up in Minnesota. And his family had come down and gathered around him, his brothers and sisters. And, and, and uh, he had been like in a comatose state, but came out and opened his eyes wide. They hadn't been opened, and he hadn't spoken at all. And he couldn't speak, really. But he opened his eyes wide, and he panned the room, saw his brothers, and he looked right at Paul. Or I'm sorry, uh, Tom, his brother Tom. And he just took his hand and put it here. Closed his eyes. And a few minutes later, he opened them again. And he scanned the room and found Peter, his oldest brother. And once again. And he wasn't 
doing this just to say I love you. He was still trying to convince them to follow Jesus. Because he had talked to them. They knew what he meant. It was a powerful, powerful service, and it was wonderful to see people that we hadn't seen in years. And I thought about the ministry, just the joy of serving in the ministry. And of course, I had the opportunity in Rini to just share about Viral Bible Fellowship with those that we had pastored, you know, 30 years ago. And what God's doing now, it's not, we don't live in the past, we, we need to live in today, amen? I want to say that to some of you because I don't know if we're going to get to the message here. My goodness, um, we will. But things happen in life that can be setbacks for us as believers. Here we are being faithful and serving the Lord, and then setbacks come. And it makes us wonder where's the Lord? Where's the Lord? Losing Bill McClellan. And the impact that Bill had as an elder in our church. And his greatest impact, even as an elder, was his smile and his voracious laughter. You could hear him all over the room. And you, if you came to church and Bill saw you, you were getting a hug. And this big old burly man that rode a Harley Davidson <laughs> would just, with a heart of gold, just reach out and hug you. You knew you were loved when he hugged you. And then he's gone. And some of you have been hanging up on that, I'm sure. It's not the same without Bill. You're right. And God's saying, it's time to move forward. And maybe you're the next Bill. Maybe you're the one that's going to step up and love people and care for people the way Bill did. There's always a place for us. And in the midst of serving faithfully, we will get wounded in our story here, the text, the context would be that Paul has really, from chapter 22, he comes to Jerusalem, he is faithful to the command of the elders to take four men with him and offer up a Nazarite vow. They had already offered the vow, but now to finish it, to, to bring it to a conclusion. To do that, you have to go to the temple, and the priest has to perform a ceremony over you. They actually cut the hair that you've allowed to grow during the whether it's a 30, 60, 90 day uh, Nazarite vow, you'd cut the hair and the priest would perform a ceremony. You had to have an animal uh, sacrifice. There was all kinds of stuff. Paul wasn't doing it because he believed that God was in the sacrifice. He was doing it because the crowd in Jerusalem that he wanted to connect with and reach with the gospel believed that stuff. And somebody had come from Asia, uh, some Jews, and said that Paul was against the Jews and he was, you know, letting Gentiles come into the temple and all of this, which was not true. So in order to try and reestablish relationship with the Jews, he followed the elders' command and went through the procedure. Uh, it was a compliance. And upon doing that, it had to move some of those who were present to go, he's not what these men have said about him. He, he's, not, he's not against us. But then there were those who spread a rumors in the crowd, and they rose up against Paul. And next thing you know, they've got Paul, they're dragging him out of the temple, and they've taken him down the street, and now they're beating him up, literally. 
It wasn't that they were going to beat him up. They were beating him. And the Roman centurion hears about it, goes down, sees it, runs to the tribune, and he says, hey, we got a problem here. And they went back and they, they, they took Paul from the crowd. They basically saved his life and took him into a barracks. And uh, Paul said, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, before you take me, can I have one more opportunity to talk to the crowd? I want to talk to those who were beating me. Those are my brothers as a Jew. I'm a Jew as well. I still have a heart to see them come to Jesus. And he goes out and Ray preached a powerful message on the testimony of Paul and the bases that he covered in that testimonial and how we are called to be witnesses and Ray was so practical with it, ways that we can talk with others about Jesus, ways to share the gospel. And Paul did those things. He even spoke in their own language at one point. And uh, it's when he got to the point in the teaching where he actually mentioned, <laughs> he, he said, God, at the end of his testimony, God called me to preach to the Gentiles. And the scripture says this in verse 22 of chapter, I think it's 22, or 23, yeah, 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. They were intent. The people that were beating and were against him all of a sudden started listening because he was one of them. And he told them that I used to persecute Christians. Well, that got their attention. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. What did he say? I'll tell you what he said. One word. Gentiles. Gentiles. They had no problem with Gentiles becoming Jews. But they had a real problem with a message of a gospel where in order to be saved by Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles have to go through the same process. God treats them the same. To a Jew, that incited anger because they hated the Gentiles. And so they rose up against. They did not want to see that God would believe that Jews and Gentiles were equal in any way. Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. So what did Paul do that he deserved this treatment? He simply shared his testimony. And he shared the calling, the work that God had given him to do. He was in the midst of doing the right thing, saying the right things, and the next thing you know, the crowd is ripping their shirts and throwing dust up in the air, and they're extremely angry. Now there's a mob that is ready to riot. May I just say this, that in, our, in today's culture, this encounter would sound something like this. Paul is a hateful racist saying such things. When he's in my presence, it makes me feel unsafe. 
We can't have hateful bigots like Paul running around freely saying things that are so evil and hurtful. Isn't that just like the enemy? To take what is good and make it look evil and take what is evil and try and make it look as though it's good. Listen, that's always been the tactic of Satan. All he can do is contort and twist and and, and uh, invert and pervert the things that God is doing. He can't create anything on his own, so he, all he can do is take the good that God is doing and try to make it look evil. In fact, Isaiah dealt with this stuff. In Isaiah chapter, 50, uh, chapter 5, verse 18, he said, Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood. In verse 20 of chapter 5, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This has always been Satan's tactic. Don't be taken by the cultural nuances today. It's the same stuff. It's just in a different package. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. It says, now the serpent, in verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty. There he is. That's, give him credit for one thing. He's crafty. He's a schemer. And he was more crafty than all the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, God, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of, of any fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Lies. What's the lie? You will not die. The truth is, in their current state, when he said that to Eve, she would not die. She would live for eternity in that state. She only died when she did what Satan told her would keep her alive and not kill her. That God lied to you about death. And then another lie. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. That's a manipulation of truth. What Satan didn't tell Eve is that by disobeying God and eating of the fruit would unleash evil in the garden. He didn't tell her that. He just came from the angle of, you'll be like God. He doesn't want you to be like him. Can we ever be like God in the sense of having, no, there's only one sovereign. There's only one that is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. We're not it. Go ahead, ladies, I'll let you. Tell your husband, you're not God. Guys, say to your wife, you're not God, honey. I'm sorry. See, he's the master of lies, and we live in a world and in a culture today where we're being inculcated with lies, and they're coming through every single form of communication available to man. That's why as Christians, listen, that's why we go to church. That's why we connect on a discipling level, one-on-one. Not only should you be a disciple, but you should be a discipler, and And that's why we spend time in the Word of God studying, reading the Bible. Why? 
Because the more we understand the truth, the more we can recognize the counterfeit. And if you're not in the Word of God, you can be taken by the lies today. Because they don't just come to you and say, hey, let me share a lie with you. No, they make evil look good. And undiscerning, non-discerning Christians are taken by it. We fall into these traps. So, that's why we go to church. It's one of the reasons. It's one of the purposes of the church. Is to to teach us who God is by his word. Bible teaching is key. Uh, the, the two things that a shepherd elder, and our elders are shepherds, uh, every one of them, they're all pastors in that sense. The word pastor in the Bible only comes up once. It, it, they're elders, they're overseers, they're, they're shepherds. And the, the, the purpose of a shepherd is two things to lovingly feed and lovingly protect the flock. And it's not your flock, it's God's flock. So when a shepherd elder is doing what God has called him to do, that's what it looks like. He feeds and he protects the flock. How? By the teaching of the Word of God. That's the primary way that a shepherd is able to feed and protect, by teaching the Bible. Now look at verse 23. We're not going to get very far here, and that's okay. Uh, today. I, I, I don't want to give you more than maybe what the Holy Spirit is wanting you to chew on for one setting. It's not that I'm coming like a fire hydrant. I know it's moving kind of slow this way, but it's just that we can have several different points, and I'm not sure that that's what God wants us to do today. I think just, just working our way through the text, letting the Spirit speak to each one as he, as he might. But in verse 23, and as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Now, let me explain to you what's going on. Uh, this is a strange sight for this Roman commander who sees this thing. He hears a man who's teaching and are speaking, and the people are listening intently. And he's thinking, this is, this is awesome. You know, he's just teaching these people. And then all of a sudden, something comes out of his mouth, and the people freak out, and they're ripping their clothes, and they're throwing up dust in the air. They're ready to riot. He pulls Paul aside into the barracks, and he's like, okay, what in the world did this guy do that he incited the crowd to anger like that? In other words, this guy did something wrong. Because he didn't know the language. Paul was speaking in Hebrew, and he's a, he's a Roman. So he pulls him in, and the best way to find out the answer to get the guy to confess to his sin was to flog him. And by the way, a Roman flogging was different than a Jewish flogging. In a Roman flogging, it oftentimes ended in death. So we don't know if Paul would have died from that Roman flogging, but it certainly would have, <laughs> it would have evoked uh, an answer for why he incited the crowd. And about the time they, were, they already bound him, and they're about ready to administer the flogging. And look at verse 25. But when they had stretched him out over the whips, or for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune. And he said to him, what are you, uh, are you about to do? 
for this man is a Roman citizen. So when it became known that Paul was a Roman citizen, the centurion went straight to the head. They had already broken the law of Rome by binding a Roman citizen. And they're about to flog him. And the law in Rome was that you only flog those who were not Roman citizens. Verse 27, so the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, yes. (laughs) And the tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. By the way, that would actually be a bribe. There was no way to buy your citizenship in Rome, but you could bribe someone for one. So even the tribune is admitting here that he bribed somebody and got the Roman citizenship and thinking maybe that, how did you come into it? And Paul said, uh, I am a citizen by birth. We don't know if it was his father, his grandfather, but somehow, somewhere along the way, maybe he ministered to a high authority in Rome and they granted him citizenship. We don't know. But Paul was born a Roman citizen because his parents had been granted citizenship. So Paul truly is a Roman citizen. And now it's really weird to the, to the Romans that took him because here's an uncommon man who is educated, intelligent. He's a devout Jew, but he also is a citizen of Rome. How unique is that? How rare is that? Let me tell you something. That's how God often works. He takes unusual, unique situations and he uses them for for his glory. You are one of those unique people. Everybody here in this room has a unique story, a unique past. And God says, I'll take what you have experienced. I'll even take your pain and I will use it for my glory. That's why the scripture in Corinthians, Paul wrote a letter and he said, uh, he's the God of all comfort. And we comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. All of ministry is from God. Don't ever say, well, my ministry, it's not yours. You only have whatever ministry you do because God gave it to you, right? The ministry is from him. That keeps your feet on the ground, keeps you humble. So, verse 30, (coughs) excuse me, on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. Now, that would be the Sanhedrin. That is the Jewish council in Jerusalem. It's made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, two different sects of Jews. And so the Roman is saying, look, we're, we're, we, yes, we occupy Jerusalem. We have power over Jerusalem. But we haven't removed the, Ju- the Jewish ways, the customs. That would be complete havoc if they had. Uh, so they're like, let's hand him back over, but let's take him to the highest court where it's safe. <laughs> And so Paul is going to be brought before the the Sanhedrin. By the way, Paul, before Christ, was a member of the Sanhedrin. 
Some of the folks there he probably recognized. Others he did not. But when he was, when he was given permission to go to Damascus and corral Christians and bring them back to be tried, or at least to be uh, imprisoned, it was the Sanhedrin that gave him that authority to do that. Now he's going to stand before them. Can you imagine how excited Paul must have been to come full circle? Once being part of this group that denied Jesus and rejected those who believed in him, and now having become a Christian and now having the opportunity to share Jesus with the Sanhedrin themselves? Wow. Verse 1, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth, bust him in the mouth. He's speaking to the Sanhedrin, and what did he say? I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. They knew that he had already claimed that Jesus was God. They knew that he had already made claims that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. They knew that he believed that Jesus was Messiah. Of course, they didn't agree. And when he made it look as if he's innocent, it just infuriated the high priest, and he commanded one of the soldiers to just bust him in the mouth. Just shut that guy up. That did something to Paul. That did something to Paul. It did several things. First of all, we see in verse, in verse 3, and Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. <laughs> so his first reaction was a knee jerk. And he went right at the guy who ordered him to be stricken. And are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Here you are sitting as a judge over the law of God, but yet you yourself just broke the law. You're not allowed to do what you just did. Because I haven't been tried, and I haven't been proven guilty of anything yet. And yet you've already struck me. He's right. So Paul's right in his, his righteous anger, his indignation. Uh, don't you wish you could have been a fly on the wall when that event took place to hear how Paul spoke back? What tone did he use, you know? Was it an outburst of anger? Was it in calm, a collective, just firm word? We don't, we don't know. But in one sense, his words were justifiable. The priest had no right to have Paul struck in the mouth. And Paul called him on it. He called him on it. He was right. He exposed the hypocrisy of that court, the highest court. There's, these guys were supposed to be the examples of the law of Moses being carried out uh, in purity. And already they've broken their own law. Now, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Now, this is where Paul is wrong. Let me show you. He was outraged by the high priest's flagrant violation of the law, and he rose up in anger and spoke harshly to the high priest. He didn't know that that guy was the high priest. And the people called him on it. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul immediately realizing, I didn't realize the guy was the high priest. And he says, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, 
you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Does Paul think that the ruler is righteous? No, he does not. Is he corrupt? Yes, he is. Paul thought he was corrupt. But the Bible taught him never disrespect, never speak against the ruler. Why? Because Romans tells us that God is the one who sets up governments. God is the one who allows evil rulers to sit on the throne of a nation. God. There's nothing that's happening on this earth today that is evil that God's not fully aware of. And the point is that the way we respond is not primarily by choosing a political party and voting. That is important. We are given the right to vote in America, and we should vote. But all that being said, the bottom line is, your greatest calling is not being an American citizen that can vote. Your greatest calling is to be a Christian who goes out and shares with the lost. And if you make certain people your enemy because of their political platform, you won't share Christ with them. That's wrong. Your highest calling is to be a faithful minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul broke that. He did what he should not have done, and he admits it right away. He immediately, his reaction when they said, you revile the high priest? I didn't know he was the high priest. And then he actually quoted the passage. He said, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Paul is taking full responsibility for his action that was wrong. He wasn't wrong for calling out and saying, hey, wait a minute, you can't strike me. I've not been proven guilty yet. You're supposed to be above that. But he had no right to harshly call him out. That's why last week at the end of the message, remember I said, be careful what you put on Facebook, how you say things. You don't have to like certain elements of what's going on in our government and this and that and whatever. But be careful how you say it. Don't lose your witness with the lost. Now when Paul perceived that one part of the Sanhedrin was Sadducees and the other part was Pharisee, that took him in a different direction. Now let me explain what's happened. So he has come before the Sanhedrin, the highest court of the Jews, and immediately the guy acts in a wrong way and strikes, has Paul stricken. And Paul knows the Pharisees well and he knows the Sadducees well, and already he's been rejected. Now, by the way, Jesus never acted that way. When Jesus was struck, he didn't rile up and call him a whitewashed tomb. You know what he did? He said, why did you strike me? He kept us calm. Paul didn't do that. But he also, Jesus said, when he released his disciples to go into the, into the world and, and preach the gospel, he said, uh, when you enter a home... If they receive you, then good. Share the gospel. Break bread with them. Have fellowship. But if you go into a building and they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet. Don't throw pearls to swine. 
And Paul realized the way they handled him, these guys aren't open to the gospel. So it says here, when he perceived that one part was Sadducee and the other Pharisee, he thought, okay, I'm just going to get out of here. I just want to get out. This is not, they're not going to listen, so I need to leave. So Paul, being a brilliant guy, he says, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. So who's he speaking to? The Pharisees, who believed in resurrection, who believed in angels, who believed in spirit. The Sadducees didn't believe in any of that stuff. So what he just did was, he got the Pharisees to look at the Sadducees and the Sadducees to look at the Pharisees and neither of them were focused on Paul now. And he literally got them into an argument with each other. He diffused the situation where it would no longer, he would have to face these guys and deal with what they were saying. And finally, interestingly enough, uh, in verse 7, and when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, no angel, no spirit, or, or spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes and the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? That just ticked off the, 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 the Sadducees. If you want to put them in modern terms, the Pharisees would have been the fundamentalists who were all about the Bible. The problem was they, they were living off of works righteousness and creating their own, their own system of righteousness. The Sadducees were the liberal theologians who didn't believe the things in the Bible. And you got these two groups now turning against each other. And in verse 10, and when the, the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be uh, torn to pieces by them, he commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them uh, uh, by force and bring him into the barracks. And the following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said to him, in the barracks, so he's, in, he's, he's by the way, he's bound he said this, here's what the Lord, when you think, man, this is going crazy, I, I'm just being faithful to God, and where's God in all this? Here, here's God, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Paul, you did the right thing, you shared the gospel to the Jews, and now I'm going to take you to the Romans. Now here's the deal, but you're going to go in captivity. By the way, never again for the rest of the book of Acts will Paul be a free man. The entire rest of the book of Acts, he is in chains. And don't think for a second that his ministry was dissolved, that he lost his ministry because he's now in cap he's been captured. Oh no. God continues his ministry on some of his greatest opportunities still lie ahead while he is bound. That's you. I don't know what's happened in your life. I don't know what's ahead of you. It doesn't matter. God is sovereign. He wants you to bring glory to his name, and he'll use any situation in your life to do that. Allow God to do that. Allow God to use you as, as his servant and be faithful to him. Amen? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. There's nothing like it in this world in a world that has lost its mooring and is adrift on the sea without rudder or sail.
God, I, I thank you for your word. And a word that never changes because it comes to us from a God who is immutable. A God who never changes. A God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. A God who tells us in, Roman, or in Hebrews, he says, I want you to take your Bible and study the leaders. He says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their conduct. Imitate their faith. Oh, what a joy to imitate, to walk in the steps, to follow the leadership of those before us those in the Bible, to live out in our own world, in our own way, the same things that Paul experienced. And I pray, Lord, that we would take seriously the calling to be disciples and to be ministers. We'd take seriously the calling to be students of the Word and that we would come into greater, more intimate relationship with one another, challenging one another, encouraging one another, strengthening one another, and if necessary, correcting each other so that we might continue to be visible witnesses of Jesus Christ in this world. We thank you, Lord, for your love, and we thank you for your word. Now let, may we walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, this is the third sermon in three days. And yesterday I had a funeral in New Smyrna Beach. So we went all the way from Palm Beach Gardens up to New Smyrna Beach. And in every opportunity this weekend, I've had opportunity to share the gospel with lost people. And let me tell you, yes, it's wonderful. And you have opportunity this week to do the same thing. Every day, share the gospel with people. Amen? All right, God bless you, church. Sign up in the back for the Thanksgiving dinner. Help us feed these boys and make it as special for them as we possibly can.